Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. I'm a certified microdosing practitioner, menstrual cycle coach, and feminine embodiment mentor. And I'm on a mission to break taboos around women's bodies, periods, and psychedelics. On this show, we're exploring all things spirituality, sexuality, mysticism, and empowerment. Come along as I interview other coaches, teachers, healers, and thought leaders about all the ways we can feel more tuned in, turned on, and lit up AF. If you're on a journey towards self-discovery, you've come to the right place. This is The Light Within. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within. I am so, so excited about today's guest. When I heard about Jennifer Chesick's book, The Psilocybin Handbook for Women, several months ago, I was immediately bookmarking this to buy that book the second that it comes out. And by the way, that's tomorrow. But Jennifer so graciously was willing to come on the show, talk all about her book, talk all about the things she uncovered when it comes to psilocybin and women, as well as her own journey with psilocybin. We talk a little bit about how psilocybin helped her move through anxiety and grief and pet loss. We talk about some amazing and surprising facts that she uncovered while writing this book. And we talk about just how groundbreaking it is to see a book like this written specifically for us. Now, Jennifer Chesick, she is an award-winning freelance science and medical journalist, editor, and fact checker. And she's very clear about the fact that she doesn't have a medical background herself, but she writes about that. Her work has appeared in several national publications like the Washington Post. She's also a teacher, um, a professor of journalism, and she wrote this amazing book that, guys, I cannot wait to get my hands on. I have seen a early copy of it, and it talks about everything you want it to. It talks about the studies, the science, um, how psilocybin impacts our brain. It talks about psilocybin and the menstrual cycle. So, of course, I was fucking jazzed about this. So this conversation is one that you are going to want to listen to, share it with your friends, save the thing, download it, because if you are at all interested in bringing psilocybin into your life, this is the conversation you want to listen to. Before we welcome Jen to the show, I wanted to remind you guys to sign up for my email list. This summer, I am launching some amazing new offers, including a super juicy freebie that is all about intentional microdosing. So join my email list through the link in the show notes so that you can be the first to get that freebie when it launches in a couple of weeks. All right, please now join me in welcoming Jennifer Chesick to the Light Within podcast. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to talk to you. So the first question I ask everyone who joins is, what ignites your light within? Uh, That is such a great question. I love it. Um, I would say my light within is really fueled by researching and writing about women's health, especially when I think the content will help others. Uh, So, you know, that's when I can really lose myself wholeheartedly in the process and get into that true state of flow. So it's something that just really drives my passion. But I also think that the light within others also fuels me. So when I was doing my own psilocybin journey, I had this sensation 
sensation that I that I was connected by like a thread to all the people that I know and love and who love me back. And I can almost feel it like a current. Mm-hmm. And it was such a it was such a profound experience. And I think ever since then, that feeling has really kept me going and uh, probably keeps that fire inside of me. Oh, I love that. And I certainly have had similar experiences in psilocybin journeys, which we're going to talk much more about soon. Um, but first, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to those who might not be familiar with your work and tell us a little bit about what it is you've birthed into the world. <laughs> yeah, so it is It is like birth. Um, I mean, not that I would know. I'm not a mom, but I did birth a book, so uh, or I'm about to. But yes, um, I'm Jennifer Chesick. I'm the author of the Psilocybin Handbook for Women, and I'm a medical journalist and a fact checker. I want to be clear that I don't personally have have medical credentials, meaning I'm not a doctor, I don't play one on TV, but I write about health and wellness and have extensive experience digging into medical research and complex topics and, you know, bringing it to the public. And I'm really passionate about women's health, especially when I'm as working as a journalist. And uh, I'm also just on the, as a side note, I'm a journalism and publishing adjunct instructor. And I really adore my Gen Z students. I love teaching them about misinformation and disinformation. And I really think they might change the world. So I love this because I was a journalist for 15 years before I left last year. And so of course, when I saw the title of your book and I saw you on Instagram a couple of months ago, and I think earlier this year when you were promoting the first like cover or design or something, I was like, oh my God, I have to talk to her. And then of, of course, to learn that you're a journalist as well. I'm like, of course I have to talk to her. So this is just, I'm so excited for our convo. Um, let's start, let's just talk a little bit about what your journey has been like with psilocybin or psychedelics in general. Yeah, I mean, woo, it has been a wild ride. Uh, so in order to write this book, I knew that I needed to have a deep psilocybin experience, and I had never done one before. I've been around psychedelics before, but I've never dove in myself. And so that was something that was, you know, really, really important to me to try. So I hired a guide. Um, the guide specifically is runs a company called Finally Detached. So I just wanted to mention that. And um, he, the, the guide, his name is Gabriel Castillo, and he really developed this personalized solo retreat for me, which I think really set me up for having the the best experience possible. And I would say that one of the most profound things that occurred was definitely the, those that feeling of those threads of light connecting me to all the people I love. I mean, I can't think of anything more profound or what a wonderful gift to receive. But another profound thing um, was really learning the tools that I have within myself to get through those challenging things and understanding that I have unyielding support from others who do love me as I navigate, you know, challenging experiences. One of those challenging experiences that I feel like I'm facing right now is that I have this extreme anxiety or I did have this extreme anxiety about one day losing my parents, you know, I'm in middle age, I'm 44 years old, my mom is 80, and my dad is just a few years younger than her. And so I'm really facing the their the idea of their mortality at some point. And before my psilocybin journey, I really had this intense, 
I had this intense anxiety, um, feeling that such a loss would be something I couldn't handle or wouldn't be able to get through. Uh, but the medicine really taught me about my own strengths within to navigate such a huge challenge and that, you know, that I will eventually face. Uh, obviously, it will still be hard as hell. It'll be extremely hard to deal with or go through. But I, I now know, and I didn't know this before, that I will be okay. And I was also, during my psilocybin journey, which I write about as my first chapter, um, I felt this um, this feeling that I was able to process some grief from, I'd recently lost two friends. One died of a heroin overdose and another one just collapsed on the street in, in sort of a weird manner. And it was, so there were sudden losses. And I also lost my dog fibers. This all kind of happened in a short span of time. And it was really sad and hard. And, um, you know, we don't talk about pet loss enough in, in the world and how devastating that can be because my pet was my somewhat of an emotional support system for me, which sounds silly, but it's not. And um, my psilocybin journey was really immensely helpful in processing that loss in a very safe way. Mm, I love that. And thank you so much for sharing all of those things. I certainly resonate with the pet loss. Last year, two of our three dogs died extremely suddenly. I'm sorry. Um, so I also journeyed with psilocybin a few months later to kind of integrate that loss. Um, and my dog, the one who's still alive, who was the oldest, has come to me in multiple psilocybin journeys as a human child and, and has been my guide throughout the journey. So it's just fascinating how connected we are to our pets. And I also totally believe what you said around we don't talk about pet loss enough. Like we don't give it enough credit when it's some people's you know, it's so important to some people. It's as important to some people as losing a human person, like a friend. Yes. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. So let's talk a little bit about why write the book. Why did you feel led to write a book and specifically for women? Absolutely. Um, well, there are, there are several books out there about psilocybin and, of course, other psychedelics. And but we don't. This is actually the first book that explores psilocybin through the lens of women's health. So, um, in my in the book, chapter eleven is kind of like the beast chapter. I think it, I, I kept texting a friend and being like, why won't this chapter ever end, you know? But in that chapter, I look at all the research that we have so far regarding psilocybin and its potential role to help with different conditions, specifically conditions that either solely affect people assigned female birth or disproportionately affect us or affect us in different ways. Like just as a weird example, women, uh, uh, psilocybin is gaining some potential for um, smoking cessation and women have different um, nicotine receptors. And so the way that we, you know, that people quit smoking, it differs between men and women. So that's something that I dug into a teeny bit. And, um, but I blend all that emerging research that we're getting out there about psilocybin. I'm blending that with indigenous wisdom to some extent from, from experts that I interviewed, because obviously I'm not an indigenous person and wanted to get their take. And I really think that it's important to include that indigenous wisdom. 
Um, and I think an interesting thing that I learned in my research was that um, I learned this through the, the global drug survey is that more women than men are actually using some psychedelics, which is really fascinating. And at first, um, I was a bit surprised by that. But the research also shows why they're using psychedelics. And the research indicates that uh, while men use psychedelics recreationally most often, I mean, that may be changing, women are using psychedelics to self-treat physical and mental health conditions. So we're turning to psychedelics because we're like, hey, we need some help here with these things. And I had this sort of aha moment, I guess, is, um, you know, we're turning to psychedelics when the traditional medical system essentially has failed us by a not funding research for women's health issues, very little. And um, in the past, leaving us completely out of clinical trials, obviously, that's changing, but um, not enough. And uh, research shows that we often get gaslit at the doctor's office when we're there dealing with some type of symptom or we're having pain or trauma and women are disproportionately affected by some of these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just a few, just a quick stat regarding how, you know, little research for women is funded. Um, so endometriosis is a condition that I personally have and have dealt with for you know decades, and it affects 10% of people assigned female at birth. Occasionally, very rarely, it can affect people assigned male at birth, but it lar in large part, it, it affects women. And uh, la yet last year, so in 2022, the National Institutes of Health dedicated less than 0.1, less than 0.1% of its funding to study a condition that, that affects one in 10 people assigned female at birth. And that is just, that angers me. So yeah. I'll stop rambling now. No, I love it. And I'm so like, what's so fascinating about all the things you point out is this is so deeply tied to my work as well. Um, and some of the things that I've read already in your book, um, which for those listening, I did get a little uh, sneak peek at it, um, which in the book comes out tomorrow. So you can get your copy tomorrow. Um, so I think what's so fascinating is just the fact that like, yes, what you're saying about women yet being gaslit at medical professionals and mental health professionals. And we're turning to um, this, what I call very sacred medicine to help us. And so I love seeing that. Um, I have a hypothesis that microdosing psilocybin will actually help women, AFABs and cyclical beings more than anyone else because of how much more we're diagnosed with PTSD, burnout, depression, anxiety, cyclical pain, and the fact that our happiness is still going down. Yes, absolutely. Great yeah. hypothesis. Hypothesis. And I agree wholeheartedly. And so any other big surprising things that you discovered while you're doing this? This. Work? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Um, oh. But yes, definitely a surprising thing. So I think... Um, uh, a crazy fact that really puts the state of women's health into more context, and then I'll talk more specifically about psilocybin. But um, first, I think it helps to know that women were excluded from early stage clinical trials until the 1990s. And that blows my mind. You know, I was a teenager in the 1990s. So this has had profound effects. And just to look at that from the context of uh, some certain medications. So Viagra came out in 1998 to help with male sexual dysfunction. That was 1998. And, you know, like I said, women were just starting to be included in clinical mm -hmm. trials there. 
And at that time, we didn't even have a complete picture of the full structure of the clitoris, you know, and it's, you know, the internal structure of it, which is hugely important for women's pleasure. Yeah. People, people aren't aware of it. And so we didn't get that full picture of the clitoris until 2005, when Dr. Helen O'Connell, a urologist and her colleagues used, uh, you know, functional magnetic re resonance imaging, which is, you know, F, uh, MRI, essentially, to map out the clitoris for the first time time in 2005. Then if you take it a little further and we look at when did we finally get a drug for female sexual dysfunction? Not till 2015. So 1998 for men, 2015 for women. And that was a decade after we finally learned the full structure of the clitoris, you know? And when you think about this from statistics on female sexual dysfunction, this is crazy because Female sexual dysfunction affects about 40% of people who are of reproductive age, of you know, people assigned female at birth, and up to 85% of those who've reached menopause. That's an alarming yep. statistic, and we're not focusing on female sexual dysfunction. We just got a drug for it in 2015, which was not that long ago. So uh, that really blows my mind. But in terms of psilocybin, I, um, I was really fascinated as well by how it works in the brain. So as in like, what's even happening during a trip? The science is super fascinating. And we can talk about that if you'd like, but um, you know, I also I, I also really want to point out that uh, psilocybin is a sacred substance, as you already mentioned, and I really also appreciate the magical or mystical elements of how the medicine just sort of teaches you what you need to know. And you know, so I think I don't want to make this too scientific or anything like that, and I don't in the book. Obviously, I cover all the science, um, but because I'm a science person and I lo love to learn this stuff, but it was incredibly fascinating to to research what actually happens. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I was surprised about, but also I guess not surprised about, was to learn that there has been some misconduct uh, among psychedelic therapists and guides, and they've actually sexually assaulted their clients. And if you want to learn more about this, I recommend um, the it's Cover Story Power Trip. That's a podcast. And Lily K. Ross is one of the you know hosts, producers, etc. And uh, it's fantastic in terms, I mean, it's, it's devastating, but it's fantastic to resource for learning about the problem or the issue with this. So during the, the book, or I mean, writing the book, I included some information about navigating, um, I have a whole chapter about navigating consent during mm. uh, psilocybin sessions, and how to, you know, vet um, ethical practitioners. So I have one more surprise to talk about in terms of my research, and then I will give it back to you. Um, but I included a whole chapter on parenting. And um, so pregnant, including pregnancy, breastfeeding, chest feeding, and, um, and then also just parenting in general. So, you know, we don't really have a lot of info on psilocybin's effects on the fetus or on, say, a breastfeeding child, except for when we look at it retrospectively and, you know, can learn about it from that. But also we can learn a lot from indigenous wisdom because there are cultures that have used these substances while pregnant and breastfeeding. That's not to say I'm saying, hey, yeah, while you're pregnant, go out and you know, get all trippy or whatever. I'm not suggesting that. I'm saying that we have to look at these topics from a lot of, uh, you know, the, a lot of nuance, essentially. So I did interview a woman who opted to use psilocybin during pregnancy because it helped her abstain from um, alcohol use. She, she had, a, she, you know, self, 
says that she had a, a substance abuse problem. And this really helped her avoid alcohol during her pregnancy and change her relationship with alcohol. And that's so important, obviously, but also the mental health of any pregnant person is just as important as, you know, the growing fetus. And so I also discuss things like the half-life of psilocybin. So if someone is breastfeeding and they want to use psilocybin in some capacity, whether microdosing or doing a trip, you know, for therapeutic purposes, for whatever their needs are, I include um, information about that. And, and I think it was surprising to learn that I, you know, that even though we don't have a lot of information, there's a lot of nuance out there and there are people that are talking about it, which yeah. is really great. Okay, I'll give yeah. it back to you. <laughs> no, I love all of those um, surprising things that you discovered. And I love your candidness about the fact that, like, yeah, some things aren't as surprising as they, that you really, they're not that surprising when we really just know the lived experience of us both being women. Like, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, we got a drug for female sexual dysfunction, what, almost 20 years after men got it? Like, that doesn't right. surprise me at all, knowing all the stuff that I know now with my own work. Um, and I love that you talked to Michaela De La Maico. She's my mentor. So she's beautiful. And I love her discussion of psychedelics in, um, as a, as a pregnant person, as a, a, a breastfeeding person and as postpartum just in general. Um, so wow. Like there's so many ways, there's so many places we could go from all of those beautiful and astounding stats, but let's talk more about the brain, right? Like I, yeah. I, I thank you so much for, you know, of course, acknowledging the fact that this is very sacred wisdom and sacred medicine. And I talk about that a lot here on the show, but we don't talk a lot about the brain and I, especially around women. So please enlighten us as to how psilocybin really works in the brain. And if that also does anything different in women's brains. Absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll just start, start talking about it in general first. Um, so the, you know, there's a, I have a, a whole chapter on all of the brain science and it dives into this much more extensively, but I want to summarize that for you. So the um, two, um, you know, psychedelic researchers kind of came up with this model to understand how psilocybin helps in, or works in the brain and helps us sort of, whether it's overcoming trauma or gaining a new perspective, that sort of thing. And I think one of the, the, that, the cool model there is called REBUS, so R-E-B-U-S, and it stands for Relaxed Beliefs Under Psychedelics with the, mm. um, the P lowercase and the S uppercase in, in the word psychedelics. But um, the, the researchers that came up with this model are uh, Dr. Robert, Robin Carhart-Harris and then Carl J. Friston. And so I think in, in terms of explaining that, uh, it's, it's probably the easiest way to understand that this model is one of the easiest ways to understand what is happening in the brain. So as our lives unfold, the, the data or information that our brains receive essentially teach us about how the world works. And so we use that data to form what would be our belief systems or what's called our predictive co coding, essentially. And, um, and so by the time we're adults, our belief systems make our brains more constrained or inhibited um, than when we're much younger. Uh, so we become more, our brains become a little bit more constrained and inhibited as we grow older, and it continues to happen. And it's really because the, the world around us is teaching us how the world works, and it's teaching us about ourselves, and we lock into those beliefs. So when I say belief systems, I'm not talking about politics or anything like that. I'm really just talking about our internal perceptions. And so um, those belief systems are um, 
you know, they form a hierarchy essentially in our brain. And, and so some of them become sort of the boss of us and others are, you know, not because they can't gain any traction. If you think about it in sort of a structure of a business, um, it's like the C-suite, the CEOs and everything have all the control and the little employees get not, no say, right? And so that's, that can happen to us as we get into adulthood. We have really rigid belief systems at the top that are heavy and they don't let any new input come uh, come up into the in the space in the brain space, and so um, it, it's interesting because our when we are on psychedelics or so when we're in normal states of consciousness, consciousness we have that situation going on where those belief systems are sort of bossing us around. And but when we're on psychedelics, that hierarchy gets all you know you know, flexible, essentially. And it'll, it, we allow for those smaller employees of the brain company to get up in there and get some information to us that could really be helpful. And so we excessively relax what's called our predictive coding. And those re- rigid beliefs can really become reexamined, and we can, re- re, you know, revise them, essentially. And I think one of the great ways that they that these um, researchers explained it was taking this concept of if you've got if we're looking at a frozen pond, right, and we take a heavy ball or a heavy rock or something and we drop it on the, you know, the pond, maybe it makes a tiny crack, but it doesn't really get in there. You know, the the rock or the ball won't go into that frozen pond. It's like it just clunk, you know, there it is. And it's not really gaining entry into our brain. This, If we think of the ball as our belief system, our new belief or new information, it can't get in there. When we're on psychedelic, and so that's in normal states of consciousness, our ponds are, or, I mean, our brains are like this frozen pond. Mm-hmm. But let's move into when we're on psychedelics, then this pond is unfrozen. And so if you now take that ball or rock or whatever it is, that new input, that new belief that's trying to help you out. Mm-hmm. If we drop it onto that pond, it creates these ripple, it gains entry, and then it creates a ripple effect. And it's, sti- it's more likely to stick with you. So we can finally get new information about ourselves, um, the world around us, and it can really change our perspectives on things like trauma, or, um, you know, just kind of expanding your mind to different things. And that, um, in a nutshell, would be what is happening in the brain, essentially. So um, you asked about how is it different for women? And it's possible. So we're still, we need research on this, but there's some theories out there that we, that women have what's called an entourage effect. And so people are probably more familiar with an entourage effect in THC where, or cannabis, where if you've got certain cannabinoids working together, um, it's, it's like you get a better experience from all of them together interacting. So what might be happening for women with psilocybin, and we don't know, again, we need more research, but there's some theories that this is true, is that um, the female hormones, so thinking estrogen, progesterone, um, uh, you know, follicles, stimulating hormone, you know all of these. And so these may have an impact on that psilocybin experience, and so thereby creating some type of entourage. Effect. So we need, again, we need more research 
on this, but um, but you know, our the, the axis that controls our menstrual cycle, which you're obviously very familiar with, would be the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, or some people call it the 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 instead of gonadal ovarian axis mm-hmm. for ovaries in women. Um, but that overlaps with so that that axis controls our our menstrual cycle, like with one hormone kicking off the next thing that happens, et cetera, et cetera. But then if we look at um, psilocybin, that occurs along the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And obviously those two, those axes, I think that's the plural of axis, they overlap and they one impacts the other. And so, um, you know, with the hypothalamus and the uh, pituitary glands being the, the big overlap there. So um, when, you know, when we take psilocybin, that obviously activates the one axis and that can impact the other and vice versa. So I believe there's got to be some, you know, very specific information to women in terms of where they are in their cycle, how how that may impact a trip or uh, microdosing, and then vice versa, how microdosing and or a trip would impact the menstrual cycle. Um, So yeah, we need to know more about what, you know, the brain aspect of that. uh, But it's, you know, at least we're starting to look at that, which I'm excited about. Yes, of course, there needs to be more research done on this and and on microdosing in general. I hope to one day, hopefully soon, see someone doing research around exactly what you just mentioned, what psilocybin does through each phase of the menstrual cycle. I um, created my own protocol called cyclical microdosing that specifically targets and um, is a cycle-informed approach to how you'd microdose with the intent that it would help people with cycle challenges like PMS and PMDD. And I really hope in the next year to 18 months, I can put together some type of a survey to know for sure, just for my own, you know, my own knowledge. But like you've mentioned this so many times, more research needs to be done more. And of course we know that about women's health in general, but from what you've seen, do you see more research happening? Like, have you heard any, like, have you heard any, like on the DL, like anybody's doing research around women and psilocybin or just women and psychedelics in general? Yeah. So I'm really excited um, about some of the stuff coming out of the Johns Hopkins uh, Research Center for Psychedelics. I forget the exact name, so pardon me there. But um, there are two um, doctors, scientists that are working on studying the menstrual cycle and psilocybin. Initially this year, they released a, a study. It was it was a, a, a a paper on it was a case study of three women who did use some psychedelics and two of the women used psilocybin and it did um, essentially regulate the menstrual cycle after these women had some instances with dysregulation i think one of them had pcos so polycystic ovarian syndrome and then the other one did have pmdd premenstrual dysphoric disorder so um, they looked at those women and they did notice some changes in terms of um, their menstrual cycles all came early, I believe, at, after using psilocybin. And I'm unclear about where in the cycle they were when they used it, but the, their cycles came early after their use. And then um, those who had irregular cycles, maybe a period of, uh, of where they, they weren't getting a period 
it returned and it returned early. And then there was some time of regulation after that. So I'm really excited to hear that Johns Hopkins and specifically these women, Natalie Gukas, Dr. Natalie Gukasian and Dr. Sasha K. Narayan, I always got to call out the women scientists, yeah. you know, they are, um, you know, researching this and looking into it and learning, wanting to learn more about those mechanisms that I was just talking about in terms of those two axes, the one controlling the menstrual cycle and the one with our stress response where psilocybin would act upon and how that may affect it. And I think they'll look into it for other psychedelics as well. So I'm, I'm so excited to have people knowing that people are on it, you know, which is great um, because I was worried that, you know, the, that the medical system would treat psychedelics just like they treat everything else where, oh, men and women are the same. Their bodies are the same, which they're not. We all know, right. you know. So and then, um, you know, I think the other thing I was going to say, what was I going to say? Oh, um, they so they're, they're looking into this. But also I had a woman reach out to me that um, she's doing this whole study on PMDD and psilocybin. Does it have the power to um, help with PMDD. And so I was really excited to learn about her research. So she had emailed me and interviewed me and I'm like, I'm supposed to be interviewing the researchers. It was really funny. Um, but yeah, I, I was also really excited to learn that you do womb healing and menstrual cycle coaching. And I'm even more excited to find out that Michaela De La Maico is your mentor. Um, I include a lot of you know content from her in the book. She goes by Mama De La Maico on Instagram, of course, just telling that for anyone listening should absolutely follow her because she provides a lot of great research about or a lot of great indigenous wisdom about how to use psilocybin um, with your cycle, whether you're, um, you know, planning a larger trip or uh, using some or doing it microdosing and how to go about that. And so obviously, you have some information surrounding that. And I would love to hear from you. Am I allowed to interview you on our podcast? <laughs> of course. What, what, what else would this be? Just two, two journalists just interviewing each other. <laughs> right, exactly, which is great. So yeah, I'm really curious what your thoughts are on that sort of re-regulation after dysregulation. So when I saw that part in your book, my first thought was, I wonder why it came early, right? Because knowing what I know about the fact that ovulation happens and 10 to 17 days later, your bleed will happen. I'm very interested to know how that created early cycles. And like you said, we don't really know where the people were in their cycles when they journeyed. Um, I recently did a full dose journey myself and my cycle came that day, a couple of days early. And I just thought it's my body just wanting to be involved. Like sometimes I just think my womb wants to be involved with the, the journeys. So my blood came early so that I could experience a day one full dose. Cause I did, I think four grams, like a full dose, um, experience. I very much see when we're on our bleed, that that is a time when we are deeply connected with the divine. And then of course, entheogens, psilocybin specifically connects us with the divine. So I have my own theory about why my body decided to bleed early that day. And it was fantastic. But yeah, I think as far as the regularity that makes really good sense to me because my theory is that it probably helped reduce cortisol overall, which can help us to bleed more regularly. Um, scientifically, but I also think that, you know, mycelium and, and psilocybin specifically are so like, they just help get to the root of so many things. I wonder if anything was coming up in those journeys around their cycle or around their womb. I would be shocked if it didn't as a woman, I think womb, a lot of womb related things happen when we go journey. Um, 
so yeah, I would just, I just loved that. Of course, I didn't love the fact that there were only three people included, but yeah, the fact that there were three people is also amazing. And that there were what I would consider very positive aspects. You know, when I talk about, I just finished launching and it starts actually today, we're, we're talking on May 30th, but this podcast comes out on Monday the 5th. Um, I just finished launching a program. And one of the key parts is that microdosing psilocybin, I believe from my own experience and my client's experience helps alleviate cramps, cyclical migraines, PMS and PMDD. So while I don't know exactly why it works or how it works, I have seen that it does work, you know? And I think that that's sort of, for me, what it is to be mystical and involved in psychedelics. And so I love that there's research out there too. Um, but I guess I'll say sometimes I see research and scientific research going so deep in on things and trying to make sense of something that, you know, if we don't get the quote unquote right answer from a scientific study, you know, can we still trust that it might still work for you, even if studies someday prove that, oh, it doesn't actually work. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know, I think um, I think we, we do have to trust in the medicine itself. And uh, I know that can be a challenge for people. It was for me at first. Um, but when we do, I think that's when the magic really, really happens, which I feel like you talked about. You had a recent podcast episode um, talking to Kat Dow, yeah. and you talked a lot about the trust in the medicine. And that really resonated with me um, because I think that's so important. And yes, it's great that we have research coming out. It's great that we've got all this, this sort of scientific explanation for it, but it is such a magical substance. And I don't want to take away that from that mystical part of it. Yeah. And I also think, I love that you love to shout out the women and female scientists too, because um, one of the key reasons why I wanted to create a protocol myself is because there aren't any popular protocols created by women. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. so people, like, statements and Fatiman who I based my protocol off of, like they don't have a menstrual cycle. So we just need more out there, more options out there. Um, more folks talking about this, like you are, um, about women and psilocybin, people born in female bodies and psilocybin, cyclical beings and psilocybin, because like you've said yourself, we're turning to it. We're, we're turning to it time and time again, and yeah. it's helping. It does appear to be. And you, you mentioned, um, uh, cyclical migraine. So that's something that I've always suffered with. And um, I had a hysterectomy in uh, 2016. So I no longer get a menstrual cycle, but um, I have, you know, bat continued to battle uh, menstrual migraine or whatever you want to call them. And uh, when after I did my psilocybin trip, I had a good period there. I mean, I should not menstrual period, but good period of time where because I no longer have a menstrual yeah. period, but um, good period of time there where I wasn't getting that, you know, cyclical migraine. Mm. So they've since returned. So I'm considering, you know, potentially doing another journey just to sort of experiment and see, could this, could this go away again? And, but it was a, a very, you know, good stretch there where I was um, migraine free for a little while. And that was pretty that. amazing. And I couldn't attribute it, that to anything else, you know? Huh. You know, I can't swear that it was the psilocybin, but kind of think it might have been. Yeah. And it's fine if I want to believe that. So... That's my Whatever thought. works. If I, I just had this conversation with someone the other day, it's like so much of what folks say about microdosing specifically is that, oh, it could just be the placebo effect. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like if you believe it and it helps, then what's it hurting? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. 
And in talking about um, endometriosis, this condition that I've had forever, one of the cool things I learned, and I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the surprising things, was that, so someone did a study where, um, so this wasn't related to endometriosis, but just to give you some background, um, endometrial growth, endometriosis growths or lesions, they secrete inflammatory cytokines. I feel like we've all had a crash course in cytokines during the pandemic. But so endometrial endometriosis lesions secrete these cytokines. And so someone did a study with psilocybin, again, not for endometriosis, but the, this was done in a lab. And they took um, cell, human cell lines uh, and um, put the four psilocybin mushroom extracts on these cells, and they reduce the expression of these inflammatory cytokines. So it's possible that psilocybin helps reduce inflammation in the body. And that has so many different applications, including related to endometriosis. So I just wanted to mention that too. And I found that research really fascinating. Yeah. Endometriosis period cramps, because those Mm -hmm. are often inflammation. I mean, that's, I love it. And I just, yeah, I'm just so ecstatic that your book is covering these things because I've read so many books that are so mystical and I've read so many books that are um, very, very logical. And I just am so excited about yours having a mix of that indigenous wisdom and these like these hard and fast, like scientific proof. Like I'm just so jazzed about this. Um, Thank you. Yes. I just can't wait to get my, like my hands on my copy. Like we'll be ordering it tomorrow so I can highlight the shit out of it. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I love a good highlighter. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. So what is your big hope for the book as you move forward and, and it, and it launches, what do you hope happens? Well, I think I really, I hope to take that mystery out of psilocybin for women who might be curious, but also really nervous about trying it. You know, I'm going to go ahead and admit that I was incredibly nervous about, you know, trying it myself. And, you know, obviously doing the research on the topics helped me feel much more at ease going into it. But, you know, not everyone's going to sit down and dig into all these medical studies. So I've now done that for you and putting it out there. But, you know, I'm not someone who takes ingesting any substance lightly. So I explored that why behind psilocybin. I really looked at how to do this logistically in a good way so that you do have a good experience. And I dove into the safety because that's super important to me. I'm a safety gal. Um, But I, you know, I write about my own journey pretty much, you know, pretty in depth in that first chapter. And, you know, I I get really vulnerable there. And I think that I did that. My goal in doing that was to really help take away this mystery about what, you know, what is a trip like? Obviously, it's different for everybody. But the more information that you get from other people about their journeys can help you feel more um, relaxed and at ease going into a psilocybin journey yourself, if that is, you know, something that you're planning to do. I also think it's really important that we're talking about psilocybin and other psychedelics and really substances in general, because I do want to help erase this idea of stigma around psilocybin, especially, and especially for women, uh, because uh, there's, you know, there is this stigma uh, about it still. And, uh, you know, we need to get rid of that because there's a lot of people out there who will benefit from these plant medicines, essentially. So talking openly about these things really helps to, you know, remove that stigma and, uh, you know, explain what these substances do. And so anyone for the anyone who is embarking on a psilocybin journey, I just wanted to pro- provide as much info as possible for them to have the best experience possible. And again, we can't always control the experience, 
But I can tell you that even when I went through a really difficult part of my trip where I was like, unsubscribe from this experience, where's the delete button? (laughs) How do I get out of this? Um, You know, but you can't, you can't unsubscribe. You have to sit with the medicine. You have to sit with what it's teaching you. And in doing that, I had one of the most meaningful and profound experiences with my of my life, and it's been very lasting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in thinking about going back to this topic of, hey, my parents are going to pass away someday, which really upsets me, um, I can I can look at that from a much more logical perspective, and also understanding that I am going to be okay, even yeah. though it will be very challenging. So. And I love that you brought that up because I've seen so many studies and people talking about the fact that journeying with psychedelics is very often what you just said, the most profound experience of their life and one that is extremely long lasting. And there was just something that came out I saw today online about like one dose of like pure psilocybin um, helping like terminal cancer patients become okay with dying. Yeah. And it's like that type of potential is out there for whatever your big fear is, right? Losing your parents. Um, I left my job last year dying, you know, from the earth. Right. And I'm just glad that finally we're moving towards destigmatizing this. Hopefully we move towards legalizing it in a way that's accessible to people who are marginalized because I've seen what's going on in Oregon and how much that's going to cost people. So I have a lot of thoughts on that, but it's like moving towards a way that this can be something that we are gifted from the earth for our own best life. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it's just exciting to be here. It's exciting talking to folks like you. And I just pray that this movement continues in this very positive way. Um, and we get it, you know, even more destigmatized moving forward. Like I'd love to talk to my parents about this, but they are very much, um, the, the, (laughs) they were of the generation of like you know that you know the generation like reaper madness was like their their generation Mm -hmm. and and drugs are bad and like i grew up with dare right and and the reagan era Mm -hmm. like the war on drugs so it's like oh i just really hope that we're not in like i sometimes feel like i'm in a very small bubble niche where it's like we are very much thinking that this is fine and this is like going to help us and this is such a transformative thing and i just hope that that bubble can get bigger and bigger and bigger to hopefully in one day include many more people i agree a funny story related to the book and my parents was so i was visiting them and they live in north dakota where i was born and raised so i was visiting them last june when the book deal was happening and i was about to sign my contract and my parents didn't really know anything about that this was happening and so um, i finally had confirmation that it was happening and so i told them in the kitchen when i first got there i was like i have some great news i got a book deal and and then they're like well what what are you writing about i'm like i'm writing about drugs (laughs) I had to explain it to them. Um, You know, and they had they'd started to hear some stuff on the news recently about psychedelics. And so they, they didn't know a whole lot about it, but they were interested and they understood you know, what, what I was trying to do with the content, but it was just such a funny moment of like, I'm writing about drugs. Is yeah. that cool? Are you still proud of me, mom and dad? You know, so. Oh my goodness. So where can people get the book and how can people connect with you? 
Absolutely. So the the book is available anywhere books are sold. Of course, I always encourage purchasing from your favorite independent bookstore rather than the big A, which will not be named. <laughs> and um, the my personal choice um, is the Bookshop Nashville, which is local to me. Obviously, you can order from any you know independent bookstore. I love that idea. But uh, the Bookshop Nashville is woman owned, and I love supporting. Uh, businesses owned by people assigned female at birth. So I have links on my website uh, and Instagram. My website is jenniferchesick.com. And then also um, any social media uh, channel, my handle is at Jen Chesick. So that's J-E-N-C-H-E-S-A-K. Perfect. I'll put links to your favorite little bookstore um, and your website and Instagram in the show notes below. Is there anything else that you want to speak about before I let you go? Uh, No, I think um, we covered a lot of ground. I'm so excited to talk to you. I appreciate the work you're doing as a menstrual cycle coach and, you know, doing just womb care in general. And uh, I just thank you so much for having me and and having interest in the book. Thank you. Mm. I hope you loved that conversation. I hope you took notes. I hope you download it. You share it with everyone you know who is interested in psilocybin because this is such an amazing conversation that covers things I myself am not well versed in. So yeah, I'm so excited to have had Jennifer on the show. In the show notes, you are going to find links to her book. You're going to find links to that bookstore that she mentioned. You'll also find her social medias. So the book is out Tuesday the 6th. Go grab it if you're someone like me who is just so lit up and excited about the fact that finally there is a book specifically for women on psilocybin. You can also reach out to me on social media at Leslie Draffin and at the Light Within podcast. Shoot me an email, hello at lesliedraffin.com. I would love to hear from you. Have yourself a beautiful week. And remember, there's no light without darkness, but there's no darkness without light. I'll see you next time.